Thank you so much for joining us this week at Rich Fork. Uh, online attached to our weekly email. If you want to receive some weekly updates, you can go to richfork.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you will find a subscribe for email button. Uh, and that will help you get some of the information I'm about to give you to your inbox each week. But you kind of know how to find it already because you're watching this online. But let me give you a couple of announcements for things that are coming up just around the corner for you to register for or someone that you have in your family can register for. Uh, the first thing that's just around the corner, which is hard to believe, March 4th through 6th is D Weekend. That is for our students grades 6 through 12. Um, it's $30 a person, um, which is a phenomenal price for a whole weekend. Our students will, they will gather together for worship on Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday night, spend the night in host homes, uh, and just have an incredible time. Don Stubbs will be our speaker again this year, and our worship ministry will be leading the weekend for our students and several other local churches. So go ahead and get your student registered for that. The theme this year is to be invited, to be invited into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So make sure you let that information circulate with those that, you, uh, that might apply in your family. Uh, another opportunity that's new for us, this year we are offering sort of a D weekend for parents called Homegrown, uh, raised at home, released to the world. Now, this is $15 per person. Uh, Sam Luce, he is a children's pastor from Redeemer Church in New York. Uh, he will be one of our guest speakers. We have several breakouts planned, meals Friday night, meal on Saturday, uh, child care included. So let's be honest. If you're coming with children, it's $15 per person for the adults. You can't get childcare for $15 per person for Friday night and Saturday. So that's a no-brainer just from the monetary side alone. But more importantly, the content. The teaching is going to be fantastic. The time to spend with other parents. So invite anybody you know, forward that information to them. Again, all that is on richfork.com at the events page. So sign up for those ahead of time so we can make sure that we have everything we need to serve you and to provide those things for you as you continue your walk with Jesus Christ and as we continue to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus. Now, a lot said there, but let's stop. Let's pray. Let's pause before we jump into our message for this week. God, be with us as we step into for many people, a familiar passage. For me, I know a passage I've preached on, I've grown up hearing. Uh, so I pray for those who've heard this passage before that they would not gloss over it or zoom through it, uh, but they would in fact walk through it uh, patiently with us and pursue a deeper walk with you. For those who've never heard it, I pray that it would be uh, eye-opening as it was to me, even though I have heard it many, many, many times. And help us to see that this message really builds on us having a relationship with Jesus. Giving our lives, trusting in Christ, believing that He can redeem us and save us. And because of that, it leads us to action. So thank you, God, for allowing us to zoom in on Luke chapter 10 again this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began a new sermon series entitled Zoom In. It's all about your relationship with Jesus Christ. The thought behind this three-week series is to walk through one chapter of the Bible 
Luke chapter 10, and zoom in on three encounters Jesus has with specific people and recognize that Jesus repeatedly connects the conversations back to a relationship with Him. But this idea of zooming in is this. When we zoom in on a moment or a small section of a picture or even of a story, something that we've read, even a conversation that we replay, we can reach into that moment and focus, pull apart what's happening. So to get us started, I want to zoom in on a picture from my life. It's going to come up on your screen, but it's a moment that happened to me on December 4th, 2004. It's a special moment for me. It's the moment that I made it into Sports Illustrated. Seriously, you can quit laughing at home, but, but I'm in here. So the night happened to include a basketball game for me and a friend. Uh, we were not playing in the game. We were spectators. The evening that night, the University of Kentucky had traveled to North Carolina to play the UNC Tar Heels. And I don't know how, but we landed great tickets to this top 10 rivalry. The game was incredible. Uh, the team we wanted to win was winning. But at one point, Rashad McCants, a player at the time, had a fast break and he was going to dunk it for sure. Everyone was on their feet and someone snapped a picture of us. I don't know how they did it. So here's the picture. You'll see it on your screen. Can you see us? I know there's a player there, but it's 18 years old. It's, it's not digital. So the resolution is poor. So instead of zooming in more, let how about we put a circle around us? Then you'll know for sure it's us. It's perfectly clear now, right? The circle, it's us. I promise. I still have the shirt that I had on that day. What a moment. I made it into Sports Illustrated. Sort of, kind of, not really, but yes. Now, this zoom-in moment is not as clear as the one from last week because the quality of the picture is not great, but, but zooming in allows us to see things from a perspective that we had never seen before. As we continue to zoom in on Luke chapter 10, our emphasis last week landed us on a very important moment. In verses 17 through 20, the interaction is between Jesus and a group of 72 of his followers that had been broken up two by two to go speak the name of Jesus and experience the wonders of Jesus in preparation for Jesus going to those towns. Now, I cannot review the entire message, but I do want to bring you to one particular moment. These followers in verses 17 through 20 are coming back, and they're coming back to report about the miracles, all in the name of Jesus. What a spectacular journey they had been on. Healings, miracles, demons being cast out, but Jesus draws them in. He pushes everything else to the side and He zooms in on what He wants them to take away from this miracle Monday. I don't know if it was Monday, but it just kind of feels like it sounds good, right? But, but here's the focal point, the lesson. The take home from Jesus to the 72 to the disciples, and whomever else had gravitated to Jesus. He zooms in. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Verse 20. But the spirits 
are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, it's not only about the outward miracle moments. What you're going to need is a foundation and He's moving forward. He's moving us inward and towards this particular moment. He frames it up. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is Jesus zooming in on the reality that a life-saving relationship with Him and the promise of heaven was the lesson He wanted them to learn. It's not that the miracle moments weren't important, but when all else fades away, these followers of Jesus are being imprisoned, beaten. They will become outcasts in some sectors of society. And what they would need to have as a foundation in their heart and their soul and their mind is the reminder that because of a relationship to Jesus, their names are written in heaven. They have an eternal hope. As we enter this next interaction with Jesus. Don't leave that foundational truth behind. It is the most important moment that we have in our lifetime. When we surrender our lives, when we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, by His grace, by His sacrifice, His death, His resurrection, we can believe. We can experience salvation, redemption. And the miracle that God pours into us, His grace and mercy over us, upon us each day as we live on this broken earth. Yet, and He promises us the hope and eternity in heaven. I want you to see this is a both and promise. It's grace for the day to day. It's the promise and the hope for eternity. This is the ultimate win-win. Jesus knew that His followers then, as well as you and I now, would need this reminder of the relationship we have with Him. Our Zoom-in moment from last week ended with a question. It was this, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, as we move into our passage for today, this question, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and the promise of eternity is crucial as we enter our next verses. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. I'm going to read straight through our text for today but then go back up and explore it. Zoom in on a couple of specific moments. But this is a story you need to hear in its entirety, even though many of you have heard it before. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man from Jericho was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as 
He journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go, you go and do likewise. There are so many items we could zoom in from that passage. We could zoom in on the setting. Jesus has laid the foundational truth of a relationship with Jesus Christ with him in verses 1 through 24. But the setting, there's at least, according to what took place before, there's at least 72 people, chapter 10, verse 1, the 12 disciples, verse 23, who Jesus leans into a private little moment there. And obviously there are people that are there to watch the movement of Jesus. They're there to listen to the teaching, to ask questions. I get the feeling that this moment has the mood of a town hall. Ask questions to Jesus. What a unique moment. Or maybe that's not the mood. Maybe that's not the setting. Maybe our lawyer friend simply goes rogue and poses the question that's burning in his heart. So we could zoom in on the two main characters. The lawyer, who would have had a deep understanding of the Jewish law for culture and religious purposes. And Jesus, the miracle worker, the rabbi, who was confronting the norms and the culture and the religious institutions. We could zoom in on the parable and every character in the parable. But in order to get through this passage in the next 25-30 minutes, well, we've got to zoom in on a few particular sections. But keep this idea churning. Keep it moving in your heart and your soul and your mind as we walk through this significant moment. Our zoom in here today is this. Our personal relationship with Jesus compels us to have mercy-filled relationships with others. You see, we're not leaving our last week Zoom in, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Rather, rather, we are growing with that and through that understanding of our need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And once we have that foundation, then it begins to shape us. Our personal relationship with Jesus compels us to have mercy-filled relationships with others. So zoom into the text with me. The lawyer's coming at Jesus to test him, to examine him. So Jesus responds in ways that only Jesus can. He responds with a question. Let's rewind. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Jesus answered, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. 
Do this and you will live. So far, so good. The lawyer quotes the most foundational verses of the Jewish faith called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and quoted by Jesus and many other prophets. It's memorized, it's recited, it's a standard for every Jewish person. But before we move forward from this reply, we need to grow in our understanding of what's being quoted. What is encompassed in his answer? First, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Your heart. This is not so much the reference to the organ of your heart, the the muscle that pumps blood necessary for our survival, but it's more so a reference to the center of everything spiritual, everything emotional, our character, our will, our affections, our emotions, our desires, our appetites, our passion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Quite literally from the Greek language, this is the very breath that's necessary from which you're breathing. This is proof that there's life. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. This references to our abilities, our physical abilities, our might, our force. Love the Lord God with all your mind, our understanding, our ability to think, to reason, to make decisions. Although this passage is familiar to those that would have been listening, the depth of what he is quoting is really a source of action. Love the Lord your God with all, with every emotion, every decision, every thought, every feeling, every leading, direction, desire. May it guide your processing of your thoughts, of your movements, of your steps. May your love of God strengthen you by His might. Now, would it have been easier for the lawyer to just say, Love God with every part of you. Sure. But instead of answering with a broad answer, he really gets specific without even knowing it. It's the most, it's almost the ingredients for how do we love God. You combine all these ingredients. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. But it leads you to action that Jesus knows and he responds and love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's an all-encompassing pursuit. It's a relationship now of loving God that leads us to action. As we experience the love and the grace of God, we dispense it on others. It simply cannot be contained. It's a relationship that leads to action. We are not saved or redeemed by the action or works, but when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that we are, then it compels us to have mercy-filled, active relationships with others. So important. We've got to zoom in a little bit more. The lawyer then tests and questions, but he, verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus. And who is my neighbor? The lawyer's questions were stated in such a way as to possibly trick Jesus, to test Jesus. How to set uh, the lawyer with an approved test for eternal life. But what Jesus gives him in return is not to cast the law aside 
but to see that the true fulfillment of the law will show man's inability, the lawyer's inability to fulfill all the law, therefore needing a Savior to redeem him. The freedom only comes through freedom found in the grace of God. Now Luke, our writer, includes four words that we've got to zoom in on. Desiring to justify himself. Those words, they scare me. They really do. If you've ever watched a sporting event and the the fans have one of those giant foam hands with the foam finger pointing out, when I read this, it feels as if somebody has one of those giant fingers and they're pointing it right at my chest, desiring to justify himself. Listen to this. What does that mean? What was he trying to do? He was trying to redeem himself, show himself to be right. He wanted to know what was it going to take for him to display evidence of innocence. He wanted the crowd, the 72, the disciples, the 12, the audience surrounding Jesus to know, I have done what is asked of me. I am redeemed. I have eternal life based on my works alone. This is dangerous. It's false teaching of many religions and cults and groups currently in our world. Follow the law, keep the scorecard clear. Sin on Monday, wipe it clean on Tuesday because you do something good. But what I want you to see is amazing. The lawyer was attempting, as any good debate or court case would need, he's trying to get a definition of a term. And he wanted to know the definition of neighbor so he could justify or narrow in on who he would need to help. Just give me the specifics, Jesus. Just give me the name and the address of the person. Give me their description. Narrow this down. He's essentially asking Jesus, would you just please define a neighbor in such a way to limit who I need to love? What Jesus is going to deliver is not the name of a neighbor, not the address. Rather, a neighbor, the characteristics of a neighbor, being anyone who is in need, in need of what? Mercy. Jesus is not going to define a neighbor based on their address or their ethnicity, but on their need to know and experience the mercy of Jesus. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho and fell among robbers and stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I don't have time to go into great detail, but this road was treacherous. The people listening to Jesus' parable would have known. They would have connected the dots. So from the onset of this situation, in this parable, it's a difficult situation because Jesus said there was a man, he was alone. Not a smart move. The lawyer and those listening would have grasped and understood the setting and the situation that Jesus was posing simply by the locations referenced in the parable. 
But Scripture says now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite who came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now there are a lot of writings, a lot of speculating, books in fact, as to why these two religious men walked by this man who was suffering from a robbery, from a beating, left to die. But here's what we know for sure. Both of these religious men did not simply walk by. Scripture says they scooted to the other side of the road to keep themselves from any contact with this man. He was unclean. He was bloody. He was a Samaritan. We'll get to that in a minute. Yes, they were both religious in some sense. Or better said, they both had religious knowledge and opportunity. But indifference was their initial reaction. Along comes the Samaritan. Jesus intentionally chooses Samaritan because he was talking to a Jew and a Jew would never imagine a neighbor being a filthy Samaritan. Different ethnicity, different background, different religious practices. But here's the story. But as a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and he saw him. He had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring an oil, out oil and wine. And then then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. In our attempt to meet the physical needs, it does not negate their spiritual needs and our desire to meet the greatest need to have a relationship with Jesus. But he picked him up. Regardless of his skin color, Regardless of the social implications, the gender identification, he didn't ask if he did or did not have a vaccine card. Maybe that's too soon. He didn't ask if he had addictive behaviors or habits. Instead, he stopped the bleeding, took him to town, paid for help, paid for shelter, and in essence, gave him protection and promised, I'll come back. Loving neighbors must be based on needs which arise in their lives. Which of these three, the conversation continues? Which of these three do you think? Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? There's our word. Neighbor. Now it's so much broader than our term neighbor now. Neighbor to us means we we narrow that down to the person who might live on our left or our right in our home, maybe across the street if we're stretching it, right? But biblically, according to Jesus, neighbor is any other person you encounter. So two fundamentally different questions are asked in this passage. We got to see them. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus asks, who proved to be the neighbor? And what was the proof? He said, the one who showed, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus took the question from the lawyer, who is my neighbor, and spun it through the story, turned it, who needs you to be a neighbor to them? Who was the neighbor? The person of action. Jesus would not be trapped into defining a particular set of people who we should serve. Rather, he defines the actions, the heart of how we serve as we become a neighbor to other people. Martin Luther King Jr. in his sermon entitled, I've Been to the Mountaintop, regarding this passage says this, and the first question that the priests ask, the first question that the Levite probably was asked was this, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the reality is, the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? We must move beyond. I must move beyond. If I help this person, what's going to happen to me? How dirty am I going to get? What's it going to cost? How's it going to impact me? What mark is it going to leave? Somebody sees me with that person helping them. But instead, a neighbor asks, if I don't help, what will happen to this person in this situation? It's a completely different question. What will happen to the person if I don't, rather than what will happen to me if I do? The solution Jesus gives is mercy. It is defined as kindness or goodwill towards someone who is miserable, afflicted, downtrodden, confused. You couple that with the desire to help move the person out of their situation into a different one. Somebody's suffering, you help move them. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now we zoomed in last week on our relationship with Jesus. What's most important, he tells us earlier in this chapter, is to have a relationship with him. But today, we allow that relationship to pour out and zoom in on others. It's the action step of having the relationship with Jesus, and it's defined by mercy. Our personal relationship with Jesus compels us to have mercy-filled relationships with others. Now, my fear is this. When we hear this message regarding the Good Samaritan caring for the wounded on the side of the road, that we only think of those who are homeless or in a circumstance such as this on the side of the road. Now, we need to be prepared to show mercy in those moments and be prepared for those moments, absolutely. But the opportunity to dispense mercy has been all around us in 2020, 2021, and already this year. But unfortunately, it is far easier and sadly more acceptable to dole out justified judgment, desiring to justify ourselves rather than mercy. It's become more acceptable 
to dole out justified judgment, desiring to justify ourselves, than mercy. Could it be that we, that I, that you need to be asking some different questions, thinking a little bit deeper? Because if my first question or thought when I hear someone has a need is to explain, well, that's how they got in that situation, hmm. then what I'm dispensing in that moment is an answer justifying my lack of action. Instead of being compelled to offer mercy, well, they got themselves into it, is how that sounds. If my first question or thought is, well, they don't qualify as my neighbor, the question of the lawyer, they don't qualify as my neighbor because they have a different political stance. They, they had a different sign in their front yard. Their vaccine status, one side or the other, their hair color, their piercing situation. Then shame on us in that moment for scooting to the other side of the road, tiptoeing past someone who is in pain. And in that moment, dispensing desired judgment, desired justification judgment over mercy. If my first line of defense is, well, I, I would help, but I know how this is going to turn out. They'll misuse it, they'll reject it, they'll ignore it. And in that moment, I need to recenter myself. And here's what I need to recenter myself on in that moment. Here's what we need to recenter ourselves on in that moment. Thank God that God Himself did not summarize my sinful life that way. Thank God that He offered me the mercy of Jesus in spite of, in the middle of, and in full knowledge of my sinfulness. Jesus' followers must model the mercy of Jesus. And quite honestly, I'm grieved, even at times angered at how jaded I and we and those who claim to be followers of Jesus have become in the past two years. We have in large part become the lawyer in the story, weighing our responses, neglecting mercy, all the while while Jesus wants us to pour out mercy on our neighbor and be a neighbor dispensing mercy. Now church, please hear me. I'm not in any way advocating that we sacrifice our biblical standards as the world shifts further and further away from truth, but I am asking that we apply all of Scripture, our heart, soul, mind, strength, as we love our, love our neighbors as ourselves. And that includes dispensing mercy. You see, when someone experiences the pain of death in their life, mercy's a meal. It's a shoulder. It's a tear-filled time together. When someone you know loses a job, mercy is a gift of cash you can't afford, a gift card that you were looking forward to spending, a note of encouragement with zero expectation of a response. When your coworker who violently disagrees with you politically, biblically, religiously, in every way possible, mocks your faith, when their car is broken down in the parking lot, mercy is pulling in, staying late to help. In fact, maybe even taking them for assistance, dropping them at home with compassion and mercy. Someone's in a hard spot. 
that they need to be shown grace. Mercy is backing out. Stepping out of an in-person debate or an online debate that will define us as anything other than a Christ follower full of mercy. Mercy is not a, a measured prescription that I get to choose when I'm going to dispense at my discretion based on an approved need of an approved person that I've decided is my neighbor. You see, when we zoom in, mercy defines the person who is the neighbor. Mercy defines us. Mercy displays our love, the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our personal relationship with Jesus compels us to have mercy-filled relationships with others. This zoom-in moment moves us through with our faith in Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him into action characterized by mercy. So one question. Review these last two years especially. Just, just one question for our zoom in take home for the week. Do others view me as a dispenser of mercy or judgment? Desiring to justify myself. Do others view me as a dispenser of mercy or judgment? The answer will require you, as I have already been doing, zoom in. Ask God, shift my heart, soul, mind, strength, past self-justification into mercy. Would you pray with me? God, this is an especially weighty message this week. Weighty to deliver, but even heavier to examine my own heart with. God, you've already convicted me of some less than merciful moments that I've displayed in the last few months. I've jotted those down. I'm looking for opportunities to seek forgiveness and clarity. But God, our broken, sinful world does not need followers of Jesus who their first instinct is, let me justify myself first. Let me qualify and narrow my neighbor down first. Instead, let me show mercy and let the God of creation use my dispensing of mercy to lead others to Him. God, we will trust You. May we trust You to do the rest. And may we be known as people who pour out mercy over judgment. In Jesus' name.